Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. We're continuing today in a series called James, uh, a challenge for today from the brother of Jesus. Now, uh, there is some debate over whether or not the book was actually written by James, Jesus' brother. Uh, James, of course, was a real figure, and even if it wasn't written by his own hand, then it at least was written in his honor and in his spirit, and, and I think we, that credit is rightly assigned. And boy, he does not hold back in anything that he says. And I chose this book of James for a study because I thought it would help us talk about the racial tension that we're seeing in the world. This is a time where uh, mincing words uh, isn't helping the situation, when pulling back is not helping the situation. Uh, And so we're continuing it today. Last week I talked about my young self assuming that inequality had been dealt with, that it was ancient history. Maybe not ancient history, but at least history nonetheless. Uh, I told about how uh, uh, in school I learned about separate water fountains for black and white. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, thanks heavens we overcame, we overcame that and that the world is equal now. I really do remember thinking that. And of course, as I grew up and as I started seeing the experience of uh, others who don't look like me, uh, whether, it be, uh, whether it be racially or whether it be uh, from a class perspective, I realized that wasn't true. We watched clips, a couple of uh, interview clips last week from Albert Tate, an African-American pastor who told some quite frankly, small examples of how things are still unequal. Like, for instance, uh, facial recognition on the iPhone. I get annoyed every time I'm wearing a mask and I try to unlock my phone and it doesn't work because of the mask. But since it was designed by people who were almost entirely white, well, it didn't do as well with black faces. And it's just one example of the, uh, the inequalities that uh, us white folk don't even see in the world. And now, of course, that doesn't even get into bigger problems like the wealth gap between races and uh, systems of real estate. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Now, what I wish I could do this morning was use a movie clip. Now, we don't have the right kind of licensing in order to play movie clips by live stream. We can play them in person, but not on the live stream. So, but this is a movie clip that I'll bet most of you have seen. So I'm gonna invoke your memory of it. Uh, and if you're watching this recorded later, pause and open a new tab and go find it online. It's everywhere. But it's about the movie Up from Pixar and Disney and Doug the Dog. Now, you may remember Doug the Dog. Doug the Dog is the one whose uh, uh, owner made him a collar that lets you hear what the dog is thinking in English words. And so he's like, I'm very happy to see you, you know, as his tail is wagging, that sort of thing. And, and as this dog is talking, as this dog is talking to the people, just as you would expect, every so often he goes, squirrel, and then comes back to what it is. And then he talks for a while and then squirrel, just like you'd expect from a dog, right? It's wonderful. Now, since I can't show the clip, I am going to put a picture up on the screen. This is a picture that I took at the Lincoln Children's Zoo of, wait for it, a squirrel. And this squirrel itself was a squirrel moment for us because we were there to see the llamas at that moment. And this is to the side of the, uh, the pen where the llamas are. Maybe you recognize the fence in the picture from the, the Lincoln Children's Zoo. But, you know, we go, we go in to see the llamas and my kids read the llama llama books, you know, and it's always one of those moments when we go to the zoo. But that squirrel was just splayed out. It was a hot, hot, humid day. And that squirrel was just splayed out on that log and all of us were like, squirrel, (laughs) you know, those llamas had to be like, what are we, chopped liver? 
we're way more exotic than a squirrel, but all we wanted to look at was the squirrel, right? So I'm going to leave this picture up on the screen in the background for the whole sermon now, uh, and, and I hope it won't distract you, okay? <laughs> but do you ever have squirrel moments? You know, sometimes we're distracted by something that's truly interesting. You know, some distractions are a good thing. Like if you're driving down the road and you see something in your peripheral vision and you realize there's a pedestrian or a bicycle coming, that's a good thing to be distracted by, to see so that you're aware it's there. But most of the time when we get distracted, I think it's for reasons that are not so good. You know, it's for reasons like when we want to be distracted, when we are facing some kind of difficult task. Like for me, it's writing. You know, like when I sit down to write a sermon, especially one where I know difficult things need to be said, it's hard to write. And so what do I do? I alt-tab over and check my email. Squirrel. That's exactly what happens. In fact, most of the distractions in our life are like that, I think. Uh, We get distracted by the path of least resistance because the uh, easy thing is a lot, well, easier than the difficult thing that's before us. You know, my young self, assuming that civil rights uh, was history, found it easier to be happy about the progress that's been made since the 60s than to look hard at what the world was like now. There are still racists in the world, even among our own acquaintances, our own friends and families. But look, at least there aren't any separate water fountains anymore. Squirrel, it distracts us from the racism still among us, right? We heard in the video clip last week, the interview clip, about how African Americans have to learn to act white if they want to get a job. And I'll bet some of you, like me, responded, well, I don't see color. Squirrel, how does your own view impact? Uh, you know, it's, it, it's about a bigger problem. Thinking about that distracts us from the real issue. What about black crime? You know, so many of us, myself included, have complained about uh, the violence uh, that, that we see in largely minority neighborhoods. But we neglect to add that it's a direct result of wealth inequality that dates back to slavery itself that white society hasn't dealt with in 400 years. Squirrel? At least I wish there was something to distract me from that. And you know, we see the same pattern playing out in the news now. You know, COVID-19 starts affecting minority populations way disproportionately to whites. We see it with Hispanic populations, especially in communities with meatpacking plants. Uh, But we also see it among African Americans, even in our own state and even in Lincoln. This isn't something up for debate. It's just statistics. It's way disproportionate. You know, and so protests begin all over our country, all over the world, really, saying things like COVID will eventually get a vaccine, but the inequality will go on. People are willing to risk exposure just so that this fact will be seen. Protests turn violent in small pockets and there's looting. And we all start complaining that the violence is wrong. Squirrel, of course the violence is wrong. But the more we talk about just how wrong it is, the more we've allowed ourselves to be distracted from the conditions that led to it in the first place. You know, American society acts as though black lives don't matter, or at least matter less. Evidence through COVID numbers, of course, but also through housing policy and practices, through employment practices, through the way that crime is handled at every level of the justice system. 
So some people assert that black lives matter. And we respond, well, don't all lives matter? Squirrel? Of course all lives matter. Nobody questions that. But saying so distracts from the fact that we act all too often like black lives matter less. But have you seen some of the extreme demands of some of the pro or more organized groups that are out there? Squirrel. We let the extremes distract us from the truth of the difficult situation. And so we have months of protests. You know, when I wrote this sermon, I actually wrote it in the past tense, as if the protests had uh, calmed down. And then I woke up this morning to a news story on my phone that they have flared once again because we still haven't heard. You know, many in our church and community see and support the cause. I know that many of you, probably most, maybe even all of you do. But then we get distracted. Then we think about how uh, the other effects of the coronavirus. We think about how much our own lives have changed because of everything that's going on and how hard it still is for all of us and squirrel. You know, the reason I wanted to do this series now instead of when we were in the heat of things is because I figured that by now we all would have forgotten. I think it says something, actually, it says something good that the protests are continuing. At least we haven't forgotten yet. So let's turn to our scripture this morning from James, because that's what we're basing this on, right? Martin Luther, who sparked the Great Reformation 500 years ago, uh, after the printing press was invented and so many other changes in the world, you know, he uh, looked at the list of books that were in the Bible and he tweaked it just a little bit. Maybe a lot of you don't even, don't even know this, but the uh, Catholic Bible has a few books that aren't in ours, uh, so does the Orthodox Bible. Uh, and there's reasons, and it's not that they're not good books. In fact, you can still read them if you want, they're pretty good. Uh, but Luther uh, just decided that they weren't, that, that even though they were very good, we, they, were, they didn't quite qualify for Bible. And this book, James, was one that Martin Luther almost removed from our Bible. It's one that he argued pretty strongly against taking out. And today's scripture reading is why. Now, I see where Luther is, was coming from. You know, it's about one of the more nuanced but essential points of what it means to be a Christian. And if you take it the wrong way, then you fail to understand what may be the most important thing about God's heart. And we certainly wouldn't want that to happen. It's about the relationship between faith and deeds, between faith and what we do with it. And I think Luther was afraid of the danger of misinterpreting it. So with that warning in mind, I want you to hear it again and listen closely. Maybe you'll listen more closely now. My brothers and sisters, James writes, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Someone might claim, you have faith and I have action. But how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting it into, into practice in faithful action. It's good that you believe that God is one. Ha, even the demons believe this, and they tremble with fear. And then at the end of the, the chapter, James summarizes it. 
As the lifeless body is dead, so faith without actions is dead. Now, you know, it's surprisingly difficult to accept God's love. I think we Americans especially have a hard time accepting God's love because of our work ethic. And our work ethic serves us well in so many ways. You know, maybe it's because we're all descendants of people who had to work hard or they'd starve. Uh, Maybe it's a, and sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that we're only worth something when we have something to show for it. You know, I learned from my grandpa when I was a kid, one of his favorite phrases was, uh, you got to earn your keep under the roof every day. And when he'd go out and rake the leaves, he'd call it earning his keep. You know, even when his house was paid off, uh, he still had to earn his keep under the roof every day, right? Now, that's a healthy example of that work ethic. But sometimes we start to think that we're only worth something, that we're only of value if we have something to show for it. But the truth is, God loves us just as we are. God loves us before we even lift one finger. Faith is enough. Faith is enough to know God's love. Faith is enough to be saved. Now, what that means is a sermon for another time. But faith is always enough. But here's the trick. Faith always bears fruit. Faith always bears fruit. Now, before you feel guilty and think your life isn't, uh, it isn't bearing enough fruit, I don't know, look honestly, because sometimes the fruit hides a little bit, and sometimes the fruit looks different than at other times. But if your faith doesn't produce in you at least a desire to do something, well, then it's evidence that that faith was never there in the first place. You see the nuance and the fine point that that Luther was wrestling with? You know, Martin Luther, he was arguing against people who thought that you had to do certain things to be loved by God. Of course you don't. It's a squirrel, isn't it? (laughs) Of course you don't. Uh, God is love, and God loves you just the way you are, and nothing can change that, even your own inaction. But I think our problem, at least right now, is that we spend too much time on our faith and not enough time putting it into action. And as James says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So when it comes to the inequality in our world, when it comes to the racial tensions, what do we do about it? You know, after first service, I had another conversation with uh, uh, one who was here in person about this. And you know what? We don't, we don't know. You know, it's going to take a major, a major shifting in our society. Uh, is the answer through politics? Well, maybe, but of course, politics starts here. It starts with you and me and our own views of the world. So what do we even do? You know, I think we have to remember the political side of it and exercise our vote and write our politicians. But if that's the only thing we ever do, if we do that without looking here too, well, then even that can be a squirrel. You know, an underrated thing, I think, is forming true friendships. Now, I don't mean a token minority friend. I don't mean someone that feels like they, uh, a, a minority that feels like they have to act white around you to make you comfortable. I mean a real, true relationship with people who are different than you. Nothing changes uh, you or them or the world quite like that. Now, it's difficult to do that during a pandemic, of course. And it also takes lots of efforts and it's uncomfortable. But look for your opportunities. But I think that maybe the biggest thing we can do right now is to not look at the squirrels lest we neglect actual action. You know, it's hard to look at the difficult lives of people who live even in our own community. 
It's so easy to say, well, I bootstrapped my own life, why can't they? Without getting to know them well enough to know that they've been trying that for generations and it hasn't worked. This is true even in our own community in Lincoln, even in South Lincoln. It's so much easier to look away, to allow ourselves to be distracted. But when we see, truly see, our sister and our brother who is struggling, we cannot help but be moved to whatever action it demands of us. Now, I want to give the last word today to an African-American voice because this white male voice can't say it um, because I simply don't know it in the same way, right? And so I want to play another clip from the same interview we used last week with Albert Tate, a pastor in California. Now, we asked the Barna Group for permission to use this, and I are very fortunate that they extended that to us. Uh, it is at, if you want to see the entire interview, it's at churchpulseweekly.org. It's a church leadership podcast that helps keep me informed. Uh, but uh, you'll find the entire interview there. It's actually two parts and worth watching all of, actually. In fact, when, they, when the Barna Group emailed me with permission, they said, yeah, we've been watching those two in the office over and over as well, uh, opening their eyes as well. I will say this, though. They did ask us uh, to only use it during our live stream, to not leave it on the recorded version. So if you're watching the recording of this later, I'm actually going to break in with me sitting in my chair in my office because I want you to hear the words, uh, even, uh, e even if you don't go to watch the clip itself. In the meantime, uh, let's, let's watch the clip. You know, usually when we hear a quote of Martin Luther King Jr., we hear one of his easier, one of his more inspirational quotes that make everyone feel good. And that's not wrong. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. In fact, they're wonderful quotes. But Martin Luther King Jr. also said some things that are more difficult uh, for us white folk to hear. And you're about to hear one of those. You know, hearing only the easy quotes is a squirrel moment itself, isn't it? So I think that deserves the last word. Let's listen. All right, Pastor Jeff here in my office. I apologize for the awkwardness of this, but I do want to respect uh, the people who made the podcast and their desires. What Albert Tate says in that is he shares a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Now, I can't say it to you exactly here. In fact, he couldn't remember it verbatim either. But it's essentially this that the real problem, the real thing holding us back aren't the obvious racists, aren't the raging racists. Instead, the problem are moderate white folk who do nothing. That's what's really holding back change. And the truth is, most of us here at Trinity fall into that category, don't you think? He goes on to say a, a metaphor that he apologizes uh, for its harshness, Personally, I don't think he should have apologized because I think the harshness is warranted. He said this, It's like you and me, he says as a black man, we're in a family and there's abuse. The father is beating me, the black man, he's saying, every night and you hear it from your room and you come to me and say, I know, I know, I see it, it's wrong, he shouldn't be doing that. And then you go back and you fall asleep as it continues to happen night after night. No, the only way actual change happens is when we stand together, is when we stand and not just see, but do something about it and stand together against the abuse that's happening in the dark. It's a rather profound metaphor for our society, I think. Um, and that's what I wanted to have the last word today. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we have spent too much of our lives being silent, 
and simply looking away to whatever squirrel may happen to be present so that we don't have to see the difficult things that happen even in our own world. Open our eyes, Lord, and give us the courage. But more than that, help us to remember our responsibility to act. Increase our faith so much so that we cannot help but be your hands and feet to make this world better for all. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.